Uh, well, I'd like to welcome you guys once again uh, to Life Mission Church, to a new Sunday, a new week, uh, and a new day for us to uh, be reminded uh, from, by ourselves, uh, by friends, by family, by these songs, by the Word of God, um, of how good God is, um, and that it's He, it, He is the one that we seek. I love what Danny shared, I love what Tyler was sharing. Um, he is the one that we want to seek after. He's our goal. He's, he's the prize in all of this. Um, as we've gone through these past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Word of God, we've looking at prayer, and we've been looking at building a trellis, and uh, I've reiterated it multiple times. I want to keep reiterating it. Um, building the trellis, having the practices, having the good time in the Word, having the good time in prayer, that's not the ultimate goal. Uh, that's not the prize or treasure that we seek. Um, these are just means. They're just kind of doorways for us to get to the, the treasure, which is Christ himself. Uh, being with him, um, knowing him, uh, but even beyond that even is being transformed by him, being conformed into his image more and more, bit by bit, piece by piece in our life. The little dark parts of our hearts that still doubt or still fear or still sin, we want to see those things be transformed. We want to be like our, our master, our teacher. Uh, we want to follow him and become like him, uh, and that only happens by spending time with him. Uh, your, your, your mom was right growing up. You become your friends. You become who you hang out with. Uh, and it is so true even with our spiritual walk, with our emotional life, our mental life, everything. You become what you behold. Uh, you become what you cherish. You become what you spend time with. Whether it's your favorite TV shows or if it's social media or if it's Jesus Christ, you become who you hang out with. Uh, and so that's what all this is about. And so today we're going to be looking at this third uh, we call it like the primary, one of the three primary means of grace. It's not the only three means of grace, not the only three trellis pieces, uh, but these are the three uh, main things that God has given us to uh, help us to interact with Christ, to know him, to be with him, and this uh, one is on community. Um, so today's sermon is kind of, it's, it's sort of the, the final sermon of this um, Roots of the Family Tree series as we've been looking at the Word of God, prayer, and community uh, but it also serves as kind of like this bridge, sort of a, a starting point, the first sermon for a new series we're going to be heading into starting next week before we jump back into Acts. Uh, that series is uh, called The Identity of Our Family Tree. We're going to just keep diving into this even more and more, uh, looking specifically at this family tree that we're a part of and kind of ask ourselves, what, what is the church? What, what are we supposed to be? We're going to be looking at the church, the people of God, but through the lens and through the specific metaphors, each sermon will be a, one of the different metaphors that Christ used to describe the church. Um, there's eight we're going to be looking at. There's, there's more than eight, but the eight main ones we see Jesus as he speaks about the church. We're going to be looking at the church as a flock. We're going to look at the church as branches connected to a vine. We'll look at the church as a priesthood. We'll look at the church as a field. And some of you go, a field? Ah, what's that one? Right? So it's going to be, for me, it's going to be really fascinating for all of us together as a church to be looking at what is the church. So we're going to be looking at the church as a field through the eyes of Jesus. What does he mean by that? The church as a holy temple or a holy uh, building. The church as a body, which we talk about that one a lot. Uh, the church as a family. And then finally, we're going to be looking at church as the bride of Christ. So taking these metaphors, these kind of main metaphors that Christ used, uh, and asking ourselves, what did Christ mean by these metaphors, and what does that mean for us today? How are we supposed to be like a field? And if we're not like a field, 
we need to change something. How are we supposed to be like a holy temple? And if we're not, then we need to change something because Christ is the one who defines what a church is and what the church is, not us. So we're going to take this time to kind of calibrate ourselves. And we wanted to do this for a few reasons. First of all, we've been going through Acts for about a year. We've been seeing kind of the birth of the church. And we've been seeing all these churches being planted and born and all the struggles and things. So it's kind of brought up a lot of really interesting, fascinating things for us to even look at ourselves and go, wow, this is our family tree. What is the legacy that that church has left for us that we want to walk in? Uh, it's a beautiful picture we've been seeing in Acts. And we're only, uh, we're maybe two thirds the way through. Uh, it's kind of like looking at old black and white photos of your own personal family, right? You kind of see these faces, you see these names, but since we have a written account, it's sort of like reading old articles, newspaper articles of your family. So it's fascinating to kind of see where we came from, but also fascinating to maybe see where we've drifted from, right? Because there's a lot of things we look at them, we go, we might be missing a few things. But also the other reason why we want to jump into this before getting back into the, the last third of Acts is the fact that we will, until we are all with Jesus, we will, as a church family, we're going to continue to sin against each other. We're just going to keep dropping the ball with each other. We're going to hurt each other, sometimes on purpose, sometimes totally accidental, not on purpose. We're going to let each other down. We're, not, we're going to not meet each other's expectations. And so we have to know then what we are called to as part of the church and as a church amongst many churches. What are we called to? Because th this is not an easy thing to be part of a church. It's not an easy thing to be, uh, I was, we were doing some premarital with some, some, some young kids a few weeks ago. Uh, and you know, we're saying, you know, when you get married, you have one sinner marrying another sinner. It's not one plus one equals two. It's all your sin plus times all of your sin and it explodes. Then you have kids. Now you've got three or four or five sinners in the house and it just keeps exploding and expanding, right? So look around. We've got a bunch of sinners in here. We're gonna keep sinning against each other. So we have to figure out what it looks like for us to be a family, a holy temple, a field, a priesthood, that's what's going to get us through the hardships as a church family. Whether it's hardships from out there or hardships from within here or hardships from within here. All right, so we have to be equipped with this. So we want to take this sort of parenthetical pause in the book of Acts, look at these different metaphors that Christ has given us, and then go back into the last third of Acts. Because we need to train ourselves, as we talked about last week, train ourselves to be a church. Not just try, but train prepare ourselves to grow, to be strengthened, so we can mature and be patient with each other in this whole process of transformation and being conformed to the image of Christ for when all these things happen, when we fail each other and whatnot. So we'll look at those eight metaphors so we know what Christ expects and desires for the church. But today, as kind of the end of this last series and beginning of this next series, we're going to look uh, overall, why God has designed community for us. Why has he called us to this? And we're also going to look a bit at what the church is not. Uh, so we'll be looking at what the church is the next few weeks, but today a little bit of what the church is not supposed to be, uh, as well as why God has called us to be a people for his pleasure. Uh, let me pray, and we're going to be looking at actually three opening sections of scripture as kind of our uh, big framework um, let me pray, and then we'll jump into, we'll start in Acts chapter 2. Father in heaven, um, as we're going to see even today, your primary goal uh, to gather a people for your own possession, your pleasure, 
is for your glory, for your name to be lifted up, for your name to be glorified, magnified in this world, in this darkened world that needs to know of the, the beauty of Jesus, needs to see the beauty of Jesus. But it's even not just that your name would be glorified and magnified in this life, but it's that your name would be glorified for all of eternity. As, as we are together on that other side of eternity, we're going to be looking around just bewildered that we get to enjoy your presence forever, that we've been saved. We're going to magnify, as we sang earlier this morning, we're going to glorify your name together, and we're going to glorify your name forever. Forever. You've gathered us together. You've saved us. You've not just left us as orphans or individuals, but you've brought us together to be part of the capital C church, but also a local church so that we can grow and we can be transformed in the innermost parts of our being, our souls. We can be conformed to the image of Christ. We can become the bride, a beautiful bride that you desire for your son. So Father, help us to get a picture, your picture of, of what we are to be now as a people. Not just as individual Christians, but what do you desire for us as a people, as a group, as a family? Help us. Uh, and we need, we need a lot of help in this because we are so individualistic. Uh, we can be very private and standoffish. We have just a lot of pride, a lot of ego, a lot of independence. Uh, we don't want people butting into our business, speaking into our lives, uh, unless it's good and encouraging. We like that. But we, we, need, we need the body. We need the ministry of the body of Christ. We need your spirit to work in us first, though, so we can receive that body and commit to that body and, and be a healthy part of that body. So help us, Lord. We thank you. We love you. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth this morning, as you lovingly do. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 um, every time I bring up this verse, I remind you guys that that is the verse that is right here on the front of this podium. Uh, that's a, a leaf out of a third edition uh, King James Bible from uh, 1613. Um, I, I, I bought that Bible leaf with Acts chapter 2 in it um, because for me, um, I, just, I want this to describe our church. I want this to be sort of that cornerstone, that foundation, that description of the kind of church we want to be. Um, so Acts chapter 2, verse 42, says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common they're selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see these three primary 
sort of means or trellis pieces of God's grace. We see God's word being devoted to. We see prayer. We see community, fellowship. And then we see the result of that, which is transformed hearts, but also the gospel going out and reaching the lost. I mean, it's, it's all wrapped up, right, in those five verses, six verses. Now, I want to look also at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So this is a little bit later on as the church has kind of progressed and sort of developed through its infancy stage and getting into sort of this uh, adolescent stage. We see the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, speaking of God himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers different parts of the body, different types of gifts. But for this purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, immature, immature children, immature Christians, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, every, every whim of our emotions, all these different things that kind of come and just take us away from Christ. He continues by saying, by, by human cunning. There's a lot of things. We've talked about this, right? The noisy streets that are trying to distract us by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a lot of things that are battling for our attention, our devotion, our worship. A lot of things out there that want us to be conformed to its image that are not Christ. Rather, instead, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, to become like Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that's a key phrase there, each part, all of us are working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then finally, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. This is the mission of the church. Jesus came and said to them, this is after he died and rose, before he ascended to heaven, just shortly before Acts chapter 2. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, making disciples, teaching people how to obey Christ and follow Christ and love Christ. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're going to see those three verses a lot the next few weeks, so we're not going to go tear them apart today and whatever, but this is our framework for today as we look at these things. There are two related but distinct ways that we look at what a church is. There's the capital C church, which is uh, the universal church, all believers of all time, but there's also individual churches. And the New Testament has both. The New Testament speaks of the church. The New Testament also speaks of churches, individual churches. So we have the large, eternal, universal church of all born-again believers collected together as God's people throughout human history. But we also have local temporary churches. This church is temporary. By God's grace, it'll go on for 100, 200 years until the Lord comes back as we just continue to see, you know, this passed on to our kids and our kids' kids. But it's temporary, this iteration of church. This is part of a greater church. So this is a temporary church, and this is one of 
thousands and thousands of temporary churches that have been dotted throughout history that make up this larger church. It's, it's kind of like I, I think about my own family, the McGinty family, the four of us. We are part of a larger family line of McGinty's. We are a McGinty family as part of the McGinty family. We're not the only McGinty family, but we're just a temporary sort of uh, generation of that family. So the big picture in a very, very, very small, limited nutshell for uh, right now, the local church is God's design to gather his people regularly, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, regularly for day-to-day life, to be a, 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 a family committed to one another with our varying roles, our varying gifts, so we can be built up, as we saw in Ephesians 4, built up so we can be healed. Your family here is, is even for your healing, healing of your past, of your present. This is a place where we grow in our sanctification to be unified, is what Paul said that the desire is, that we would grow up into unity, that we'd be taught and equipped, brought before the beauty of Jesus in the Word of God and in prayer and in our, our community groups and uh, in our, our times together. This is a place where we should be matured and established. And all these things we're going to be seeing in these different metaphors in the next few weeks. But all of this is for the goal so that we can go out and spread the aroma of Christ, which is upon us when we are spending time with him, when we are with him and knowing him. We leave that place with Christ and we take the aroma of Christ with us into this world. We go therefore and we preach the good news. We share the good news. We live out the good news and we make disciples in older words in the Old Testament, basically our role as God's people is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That was always God's design for his people. It's a design for the church to be fruitful, to multiply, and fill the earth with believers, disciples, followers of Jesus, people who love Jesus. We are saved, we are then equipped, and then we're sent. That is what we're here for. We're saved by the Spirit into a family, we're equipped by the Spirit within that family, and then we're sent out in the Spirit to invite others into that family. That's what we do. We're saved to be sent. This is why our, our, our logo, the, the four arrows, it's, if you've ever noticed, that it's four arrows going in and then four arrows going out, right? We want to come in to the presence of God, into the church family, be equipped, and then so we can go out the end goal of all of this is that all local churches, the innumerable gatherings throughout the ages, every born-again believer that is in all those churches will ultimately be in perfect unison with every believer throughout human history to form the eternal capital C church, a people for God's own possession, a bride to be made one with his son, Jesus Christ, sealed as his forever and ever, a beautiful spotless bride, being in the presence and glory of God Almighty forever, a family reunion for the ages. In a sense, the local church's goal is to serve the vision of the future eternal church. Right? It's like we, I, I coach high school baseball. We always tell the JV team, your job is to serve the varsity team. You're getting built up now for the varsity team in the future. Right? We're, just, we're just local churches we're not the end-all, be-all. We are here to serve the greater purpose of the capital C church, to become that unified bride of Christ, to be part of that family forever. 
So in the meantime, we're to equip each other and heal with each other and be conformed to the image of Christ together. That's what we're here for. This is like our spring training, our, our training day for that great future. And that's what God has called us to do and to be here and now. So we live in this already, not yet. We're already part of the eternal church. For those of us who are born-again believers of Jesus, in, in Jesus Christ, we are part of that eternal capital C church, but yet we are not yet whole and complete. We're not quite there yet. And so with that comes challenges, challenges of sin, challenges of, of, of selfishness, challenges of bitterness, of, of pride, of pain, challenges of, of death. Challenges of hypocrisy, letting people down, unmet expectations, challenges of, of, of laziness, of stubbornness, of opinions, of, of hurt, you name it. This has its challenges. Being a committed follower of Jesus Christ is no joke. Being a, a committed member of a, of a local body is no joke. It's not easy. You have to train for it. You have to commit to it. As long as we're in this life, we will be in a spiritual battle. But here's the good news for us. In Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we're not only going to have to fight alongside each other against the enemy, we're also going to have to fight against the enemy so that we can continue to fight alongside one another. Does that make sense? Right? It's like a, like a two-front battle. Right? I'm joining with you against the enemy, but sometimes the enemy is going to drive a wedge between me and you. So I've got to fight against the enemy so I can be next to you. Right? So, so this, is, this isn't easy. This isn't easy. The enemy would love to divide. Loves to divide. So we have to fight this battle on two fronts. So we're going to look at these metaphors these next few weeks to get his vision, his idea, his goals, his purposes for what the church is because we need that to transform our minds and change our hearts and our attitudes about what God has called us to do and to be as, as Life Mission Church, as individual Christians. What does that mean about our commitment to Christ, our commitment to his church, our commitment to a church, and even our commitment to one another? So a few things today, then, of what the church is, is not. And there's probably a hundred other things that the church is not. I mean, but I just, I just picked a few. First of all, the church is not perfect. And I'm talking about local church. That future church, totally perfect. It's going to be awesome. Right now, not so perfect. Very imperfect. There is ideal. So I'm just, a little confession. I, I can be an idealist. I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I probably chose this one because I'm, I'm having to preach this one to myself here. There's ideal, what you just picture your ideal community, your church community, and I, I, I have that ideal in my head. Uh, we planted this church with our ideals, biblical ideals. Right? You, just, you have your perfect idea of what a, a good, healthy, thriving church is, a loving community that loves Jesus. You have ideal that it's hopefully based on biblical values, and then there's reality. There's reality. There's sin. There's struggles. There's faults. There's personalities. There's uh, character issues. There's all kinds of things that just come in and just mess the thing up. Right? And that's very frustrating. The messiness of sin. 
unmet expectations, uh, human limitations, maybe just from a, a gifting standpoint or, or just gaps in a local church. So I'm not talking about just even a moral sense of imperfection, like hey, we're sinners, we know that, but I'm even talking about kind of a, a practical sense. No church on this planet is complete and perfect, right? To say that is to say that the entirety of the body of Christ is enveloped in one local church, and that's not true. The church will not be complete until we are all together in eternity. Right, so in the meantime, we're, we're missing some limbs here. Right, but the church across town is missing some limbs too. Right, the church across town might be really good at one thing that we're not as good at, but maybe we're really good at one thing that they're not as good at. That's part of the grander body of Christ. It's not just individuals that have gifts and talents. It's even churches that have sort of strengths and weaknesses. Right, and that's just part of the beauty. It's part of the, the garden of this church different colors, different aromas. So not just from a moral sense, but also a practical sense. No church is complete. And we can idealize what we think church should be. And it's not necessarily that we're wrong. It's just, it's just not reality. Uh, there's this incredible quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a uh, Lutheran pastor during World War II. Uh, he died at the hands of the Third Reich. Uh, he was executed for his faith. Um, uh, this is an incredible, um, his writings are just, just amazing. Here's what he says about this very thing. This is in your notes. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, they become the destroyers of that community, even if their intentions are honest and earnest. That one hits me hard. Because, church, I have a dream of what our church would become. But if I love that dream more than I love our actual church, I'm going to kill this church. I will divide this church. I will destroy the unity in this church. If my dream of what Life Mission Church would be is more important, if I love that more than the reality of where we're at in life, the struggles we have, the sin we deal with, I want to love you. I want to love us. I want to love this more than I love what I hope that someday we become. But that's hard. Even if your intentions are great, we can make that into an idol. No church can ever live up to your wishes, my wishes of an ideal church. No church can do that. We all have expectations and desires for what our church family, what our community group, what, what our close friends, how they would act, what they would see, what they would value. We all have those dreams and ideals. So I have, I have a choice to make. I can either get discouraged and frustrated. I can complain. Or I can die to myself. I can die to myself for the sake of others, for the sake of the people I love, for the sake of my family, my friends. I have, to, I have to make that choice, though. We have to embrace our limitations, our limitations as, as individual people as well as as a church family, trusting in God's sovereign plan. Why, why is it the way it is? Why am I going through this? Why is our church going through that? We have to just embrace this as part of God's obstacle course that he has us on. Otherwise, we start to idealize and idolize our picture of what we want church to be. One author speaks about it this way. He says, we must embrace this church, this pastor, 
these people and forgive, forgive these shortcomings and celebrate these strengths. It's like, kind of like, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's church, right? Like, this is the one you're in, this one you're called to, so celebrate this one, be here, embrace this one, even in our weaknesses, being part of the solution, being that healthy member of the body of Christ that adds rather than subtracts. The second one here is um, it's a little, little crass. I just couldn't think of a better one. The church is not to be friends with benefits. What I mean by that is that uh, friends with benefits means we want the benefits of, of the intimate relationship, but we don't want the true commitment. We just want the benefits of intimacy, but we don't really want to actually commit. So, so once we feel like we're not getting what we want, it's not satisfying anymore. Maybe that other relationship is wanting more of a commitment. We're not willing to be in it for the long haul, so what do we do? We, we just go find a new relationship. And that's a chronic problem in the church, capital C, not the eternal church, but the churches. I should say the churches. It's a chronic problem in the churches. Uh, a while ago, uh, a pastor contacted me about someone from our church that had started attending their church, and he started asking them a few questions, kind of getting a feel for like, hey, so, you know, why are you here? Did you move? Like, no, okay, why are you here? Um, they kind of shared some of their reasons for why they're not here, but there, um, he had wise words for them. He said, well, I hate to break it to you, but we're three times the size of Life Mission Church, which means we have three times the sin, three times the problems, and three times the faults to complain about. He was just honest with them. The reality is, church, is wherever you go, there you are. You're going to take your expectations. You're going to take your hurts. You're going to take your idealized picture of church. And you're going to take that with you wherever you go. So we have to make this choice. Are we going to be committed to each other and, and even the hard parts of community, the hard parts of struggling through? Man, that person hurt my feelings. They said something kind of offensive. I don't believe what they believe. That, that's hard stuff, right? And so we can either do the friends with benefits thing and say, you know, I'm not getting the benefit anymore, so I'm just going to move on. Or we can say, you know what? For some reason, God has me here. I don't know why, but apparently I need to be here and I need to hear this guy and all of his craziness and that just grates at me, but I'm going to stick through this. I'm going to work through this. All right, this person who hurt my feelings, I'm going to, I'm going to do the awkward work of trying to, trying to reconcile, trying to work through it rather than just jumping ship when it just the benefit isn't there for you anymore. At times, you're going to be the one who, who totally blows it. Do you want everyone just bailing on you when you blow it? Because it's going to happen. If it hasn't already, it's going to happen. And other times, your friends are going to blow it. But we have to learn. We have to train ourselves to stick through it, to stick through it. And when we do, we will grow in ways that we could never imagine. There's another uh, commentator who says something about this. He says, long-term interpersonal relationships are the gauntlet. Now, we don't like that word. Right, it's an obstacle course. Long-term interpersonal relationship, when we have a stick to itness, where we're going to stick with this, they are the gauntlet of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay in them also grow, but people who run from them do not grow. If every time you're faced with a relational conflict, you just run, you're, just, you're not going to grow. You're going to stagnate. You might grow in other areas. I'm not saying you won't grow, period. Right? But when we run from those things... We just, we stop growing. We don't mature. 
He's talking specifically about our, our willingness to commit to and stick in relationships, even when it gets awkward, even when it gets challenging. Spurgeon says this, this is in your notes, this is an amazing quote, and it's so true, I can attest to this person in my life. When God begins a work in you, it usually look like, looks like it's an undoing rather than a doing. Now think about that. When God starts to do a work in you, it doesn't really look like a work. It doesn't look like he's doing something. It actually looks like he's undoing your life. Why is this, why is this hurt so bad? Why does it feel like everything's falling apart? God's doing a work. God's works oftentimes look the opposite of what we want them to look like. We want God's work just to be build, 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 fun, 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 joy, joy, joy. But usually, oftentimes, when he begins to work, it starts with an undoing, a bringing down low, a humbling, forcing you to depend on Christ and the wisdom that he has given us in his word. And that is, the, that is incredibly true when it comes to interpersonal relationships because they're challenging. God uses people in your life as sandpaper, right? And, and, and you're sandpaper to other people too, just so you know. But, but here, here's the funny thing about that is we always, we always use that, I was talking with someone this last week, we always use that as a negative, like that person's just sandpaper to me. Well, you know what that means? That means you're the one that's rough around the edges. That means God is working on you, not on them. They're the tool that God is using. So we always say, oh, they're, they're sandpaper. Well, that means that you've got a problem because God has brought them into your life to be sandpaper, to smooth you out and sanctify you. All right, so we, we do that. I'm like, that, is that a bad thing? I thought sandpaper was good. Right, but I've done that same thing. Like, oh, there's sandpaper, but sandpaper is good for us. It means that there's something God is working on in us, and that doesn't feel great all the time. But we need to be challenged. Otherwise, we just live in our own, our own echo chamber, reinforcing our beliefs, our values, our things, and we just we get very prideful and very arrogant. But when we stick through it, even in the awkward parts of relationships, we grow. We grow, we mature, we become otherly minded, we become less selfish, less self-centered, less prideful, less egotistical. We grow in humility. And the third one is that it's not supposed to be a collection of individuals. Now, we are a decidedly individualistic society, 100%. But both the Old Testament Jewish community the New Testament Christian community, they were not so. Uh, they were what you call collectivistic, right? They were more, uh, it was more important for them, the collection of people, that was their priority, not the individual. It doesn't mean you have no individuality, but their priority, the way they live life, the way their worldview was collectivistic. Their primary concern was not self or what's in it for me. Their primary concern was the good of the community. That was the Old Testament, that was the New Testament, but it's not this testament here that we live in right now. You know, not to be uh, gross, but a, a, a collection of body parts just laying next to each other, forming sort of the shape of a human body, does no one any good. Unless those parts are actually connected and committed to one another, that's the only time a body works. A bunch of individual body parts just sort of laying next to each other, no life there, no use no strength, no nothing. It's only when those body parts are connected, and as we saw in Ephesians, working properly, committed to one, knowing the foot that can't do what a hand does. So guess what? I'm going to do the hand things, and I'm going to let the foot do the foot things. All right? Working together, growing up into unity and maturity. 
but parts of the body who aren't fully committed to the body, but are firstly committed to themselves first, they, they keep some distance because they want some autonomy. They want to march to the beat of their own drum, not fully commit to others because they want to maintain their independence and their freedom from the body. And all these things we're going to be seeing more of the next few weeks. But all of these, those, just those three things, these things can be remedied, I think. Not only by looking at how Christ defined the church, which we'll see in these next few weeks, but also just by looking at Christ himself. Looking at him and asking ourselves, how does Christ act? How does he live? How does he see his place in the world amongst his friends, amongst his, his people at that time? Our goal in life shouldn't be just to know Jesus, though that is firstly the most important, but it's also we want the effects of that to become like Jesus so that we carry his aroma, we walk in his dust, become like Jesus. And that includes, if we want to become like Jesus, that includes how we interact with his family. How does Jesus interact with his people with his family. And that takes tremendous humility for us if we really look at how he was, how he is. It's going to take tremendous humility that only comes from knowing him and becoming like him. Because we know this, that Christ laid his life down for this messy church. He laid his life down for those who sinned against him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do I, do I say that? Is that my attitude towards people that sin against me when my feelings are hurt? When I don't meet expectations that I didn't even know they had on me and then I just want to get defensive on the inside? Or do I say, you know, Father, forgive them. I want to love them. I want to lay my life down for them. I want to serve them even though they hurt me because that's what Christ did. That's what Christ did for me. Is that how I am? He's committed to his very own body deeply committed the love of christ towards his broken church is just it's 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 unfathomable for us to really get a picture of how committed christ is to this broken church enemies of god he while we were still enemies he died for us there was nothing beautiful in us that he saw he's like you know what man i just love joby that guy he's just he's a real catch Right? That, that, was, that was not in the equation. And, and yet for me, someone's got to be a catch for me to forgive them, to lay my life down for them. But not so with Christ. It's impossible for us to put into words his dedication to, to our mess. And I want to become more like that. I want to become more sacrificial. I want to grow in humility. I want to grow in service. I want to grow in, in generosity, not just financial generosity, but calendar generosity, forgiveness generosity, believing the best about others generosity. I, I don't just want, I, I need to grow in these things. I, I want to grow in patience generosity. I want to, I want to lack cynicism. I want to, I want to put to death judgmentalism, self-righteousness, 
impatience, all these things. I want, I want long-suffering, the kind of long-suffering that my Savior has for me when I sin against him. When after 26 years of knowing him, I still sin, and he still loves me, long-suffering, patient, deeply committed to me. I want to be deeply committed to not just Christ, but his people. I hope that all of us, this is part of my idealizing, okay, just being honest, I want us to be the kind of people who love each other even when we are unhealthy, because Jesus loves us even when we're unhealthy. I want us to be the kind of church that we, we love each other even when all of our beliefs and, and the, all the little fine details don't match up with each other, because guess what? <laughs> Jesus loves me even though there's definitely parts of my beliefs that probably don't match up with his. I don't know what they are, but hopefully over time I'm going to find out. And hopefully I'll conform myself to, to, to him. But I want to have that kind of patience. I want us to be the kind of church we love each other when the other person is hurting and needy. Because Christ loves us when we're hurting and needy. That's what I, so I, so I want us not just to be like super Christians. I don't want us just to, um, just, you know, kind of mature as just really patient people. I want us to, to grow as the image bearers of Christ, being transformed and conformed in his image. I want us to be like him. I want this church to be like Christ. I want, I want my friends, my church family, I, I want us to be more like Christ. And I know this is a long, slow, bumpy, roller coastery ride towards that, but I want to do this together with you guys. I want to do this together. I want to hold hands, lock arms. When someone falls behind, we stop, we, we pick them up. Right? When one sheep goes astray, we go after them. I want to do this together. But we have to be committed to each other in this. We have to say, you know what, God, this is, this is my people here. For however long God has you here in this area or whatever, these are the people that you've put me together with so I can grow together and be changed into your image. I want to close with this scripture here, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul's encouraging the church here. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind being unified, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. That's, that's the big one, humility. Um, my, my family, uh, well, uh, three-fourths of my family, me, Katie, and Liam, were doing our little family fight club. We were going through a study, and... Um, it was Jerry Bridges was talking about uh, the different, um, different attributes and fruits um, that, uh, that Christ speaks of in the New Testament. He said that overwhelmingly there was uh, 40 times that Christ talked about humility. And it was the overwhelming trait that he talked about more than other traits that he, the other 27 traits that he listed off, Jerry Bridges listed off. Of the 27 traits, one of them was humility, and humility was mentioned more than others. And it was 40 times that Christ mentions it. Humility. Meekness. This is what Christ was. This is what we should aim to be. 
And Paul says the same. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves. Remember, he's speaking to a church. Philippian church. This is Life Mission Church. Have this mind among us, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, what Jesus did, he didn't just say, well, you know, I'm God, so, you know, I can kind of do my thing. No, instead, he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God Almighty, the one who created you, created me, created the heavens, all the cosmos, the universe, he took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, this is humility that we can never fully grasp. We will never attain this kind of humility. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death for a messy church, for sinful people, people that sinned against him, people that rejected him, that hurt him. Their sin drove nails through his body. But he humbled himself, became obedient to his father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. We need tremendous growth, not just growth, we need, we need inner transformation to have this kind of humility, to even pursue that kind of humility. This isn't something we just grow in. This is something we have to have our hearts changed. It only comes by knowing Christ. And then having that, that presence, if we behold that presence, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This transformation isn't just through self-help and just you know, pulling up by, yourself by your, your, your bootstraps and just trying to be humble. No, we, we have to be with Christ, beholding him, seeking him, knowing him, being humbled by him, being humbled so much by the gospel itself that Christ came and did this for us that it just blows our minds so much that our heart melts before him. We just say, how can I live any other way other than serving people? If Christ served me, why would I want to live any other, why would I want to live selfishly? But, but we need to be transformed by that, that power of the gospel working in our hearts. We need a perspective change, a heart change, which is why we're going to be looking at this, this next few, these next few weeks. Because this, this, this church thing, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ and his name being glorified and magnified, hallowed above all names in our life. All the names that are calling out to us and trying to woo us and attract us. All the different things that Paul talked about in Ephesians, right? Being tossed to and fro by the stuff. The, this church, this church and the church it's about the name of Jesus being glorified in your life and your heart above all things. That's why we're here, right? You know that when you come to this church, you bring down the property value of this church, right? And so do I. That's kind of why we're here, right? Because we want to see each other. We want to aim each other towards Christ. We want to see each other grow and be transformed so that we can become and grow into that mature man that Ephesians talks about, that beautiful bride that we're going to eventually be part of on the other side of eternity. But right now, we've, we've got work to do. Grabbing each other, saying, let's go together. Let's behold Jesus together. Let's commit to one another together through thick and thin, through hardships and everything, because we want to see Jesus, and we want to have Jesus change us. That's what we are here to be committed to. 
And if we train ourselves, not just try it, but if we train ourselves, we will behold the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Your heart will change. You will grow in humility and joy and peace and all the things that you desire, but you say, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. No, 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 we're gonna train together in this. And we're gonna keep going. We're not gonna take no for an answer. We're gonna keep going. So these next few weeks, we'll be looking at Jesus' vision for the church, for our church, but we're also gonna be looking at Jesus as our example to follow. Not just we wanna become what Jesus wants us to be, but we're gonna actually look at him too as our example, because he is our example. He is our example. We're gonna do this together, hopefully growing in our commitment and love towards one another. Let me pray. Father in heaven, uh, we, uh, we know that every single one of us in this room, um, we, <laughs> there's countless areas of our life where your name is not lifted above the other names in our life. And, um, and that's the reality of, of living in a fallen world, of being in this already not yet that we're in. Um, and some in here have been following you for 30, 40 years, and yet they can attest that they just still know that they are uh, nowhere near where they want to be. Um, and that's part, of the, that's part of the journey, part of the uh, adventure that you've called us to be on together as a church family. We're, just, we're all holding each other's hands, walking each other towards Christ. We're all at different spots. Um, different experiences, strong in some areas, weak in others. Uh, that's part of the beauty of this big old mess. But this is a, uh, a mess that's worth being a part of, a mess worth making. It's a mess that we know that it's in this chaos, in this mess, uh, as, as Spurgeon said, um, this undoing sometimes in our life. This is where you are actually working forcing us to look to you in desperation, to depend on you, to seek you out, for you to be our, um, our strong tower, our defense, as we sang earlier, our, our one defense. So help us, each of us. Um, we know we are individuals, so lead us as individuals to help us become more part of the, the collective people that is the body of Christ. Not just Life Mission Church, but the churches across town, the other believers in our lives, but also the church eternal. We know that we're just a, a part of this much bigger picture, this much bigger end result. Help us to strive towards that goal. Teach us humility. Teach us to look to Jesus as our example. Even if the people around us aren't looking to Jesus as their example, that, that's, that's not up to us. We are here. You've saved us. You want to grow us and equip us and change us to help us look to Christ. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are alive and working inside of us, transforming us, digging through all the muck, all the sin, all the selfishness. You witness to us of Jesus Christ, help us to turn our hearts and our eyes towards him more and more. We thank you, Lord, for your patience. We thank you for your commitment to us. We thank you for your long-suffering. 
We thank you that you don't bail on us. We love you. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.